This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are revisiting a topic that we've talked about before on the podcast, which is human trafficking. However, we have a new guest to talk to human trafficking about uh, coming on to the Envocast for the first time, Kyla Lanier from Truckers Against Trafficking. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we've talked about trafficking in past with other guests, particularly some of our enforcement partners. Uh, however, you, uh, Truckers Against Trafficking, and you yourself has been a, a partner of AMBA's. You've come to events, you've spoken at different uh, organizations for us. But I know a lot of listeners that maybe aren't tuned into this topic may not know much about it, may not know much about your organization. So we're going to revisit some of that as well. Um I always like to start with a definition of what we're talking about. A lot of people think they know what it means when they hear the phrase human trafficking because it's become, unfortunately, so common in our vernacular. Uh, but it means something very specific that maybe people don't really appreciate. So from your perspective, someone that maybe has just woken up out of a coma, what is this human trafficking? Why is everybody talking about it? Right. So human trafficking is the exploitation of human beings through force fraud, or coercion, either for the purposes of the commercial sex industry, and that can be street-based prostitution, brothels, both the legal as well as the illegal ones, um, illicit massage businesses, um, and then the legal commercial sex industry like stripping and pornography. There's a lot of sex trafficking that occurs there or in the labor um, sector, whether that is agriculture, restaurants, construction, um, nail salons where people get their manis pedis done, mm-hmm. um, traveling carnivals and fairs, um, nannies, cooks, maids, things of that nature. So um, at third parties making a profit each and every time, and that is human trafficking. It is modern day slavery. And it seems that despite the increased focus and the attention on it in organizations like yours working so hard, the problem in many ways is getting worse, not not better. What I think that is, is actually it's better recognition and identification of the crime. I think this crime has been around for a really long time and we've Mm -hmm. called it a myriad of different things, whether labor exploitation, prostitution, whatever. But I think that as there's more awareness, as there's more education, more cases are developing, more arrests are happening, more recoveries are happening. So it appears like there's this proliferation of it, but really it's just being identified more. Mm. So don't don't confuse the awareness and discussion of the topic with the problems getting worse. Right. It's right. always been there. We've just never had enough concentration to really prevent, mitigate, help victims, all these things that come into that, that universe. Right. So one of those groups is yours, as I've mentioned, um, coming up on a fairly significant anniversary, 15 years, Truckers Against Trafficking. You've been there since the start. Tell me about the origin story. Yeah. So my mother sent my sisters and I a book called Not for Sale by David Batstone, like this good overview book of global domestic labor and sex trafficking. And she was like, read this book. 
Now, you all do not know my mom, but when she tells you to do something, it doesn't matter if you're an adult <laughs> or a child, you do it. So um, my sisters and I, we read the book and we were horrified. I mean, we mm-hmm. just did not realize slavery still was happening. And so we got on a phone call because we were all over the country and we started our first nonprofit Um, And our goal was very lofty to end human exploitation worldwide. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of that, we started researching and learning from the people that had been in the work for um, for years. And what we what we really came down to was what group of people could really make a difference in this if they were educated. And my mom actually had the idea Mm -hmm. from, you know, knowing truck drivers when she was growing up and she's like truck drivers. You know, they're the eyes and ears of our nation's highways. They see things Mm -hmm. other people don't see, and they're already trained to be vigilant. If they knew what was happening, they'd do something about it. And so from there, TAP was started um, really with a focus on um, educating, equipping, and mobilizing members of the truck industry on this topic and telling them how to report it. Mm -hmm. And since then, we have grown to encompass um, local drivers, movers in home delivery, school buses, motor coach, transit, the energy sector. And then we have an entire spectrum of our work with the public sector, whether that's DMVs, um, DOTs, state patrols, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to get into the details of some of those different areas. What made your mom want to send you all that book to begin with? What was, was it just, hey, you're my girls and I want you to be safe? Or was there something else in her background and her motivation that wanted to talk about that topic? We're all very justice oriented and she's always sending us different books that inspire her. And I think that that one just really struck a chord and she was like, I'm sending this to my girls. And then, and we were as outraged as she was. And Mm -hmm. that's when that call was initiated to, we've got to do something about it. We can't just know this and sit back. We have to do what we can. Yeah. So yeah. you started with the truck drivers. Yes. And you started with getting training out awareness to them, but none of you had necessarily had a background in the space. You were just motivated to do something admirable. But like where where do you start when you don't know anything other than this one book that you read? Yeah, well, I think once we landed on the trucking industry, we had to start to do a deep dive. We didn't know anybody in the trucking industry at that point. We didn't know We didn't even, I don't think we understood why I can say we didn't understand how large the trucking industry was Mm -hmm. in itself. So it was research and reading all while working full-time jobs, you know, um, and raising families, but it was researching and learning and like um, finding people within the industry that could give us pointers, make uh, introductions to here and there. And what I would say is the trucking industry pretty quickly was got on board with it. Like they were like, we need to do something about this. We did not know we will do something about this. And so it just sort of ballooned from there. And we were able to, to really make an impact in a very short amount of time due to those partnerships. Yeah. So what did you introduce to the trucking industry at that time? Talk to me about some of the early training and how that's evolved from 15 years ago to now. Yeah. So when we first started, I think we were just doing basic human trafficking 101 and it wasn't Mm -hmm. specific really to the industry. Um, Our first training video for truckers came out in uh, 2011 and it was very much tailored towards 
truck drivers in particular. I mean, it, it had trucking footage. It had undercover video of um, sex trafficking at truck stops. It had um, FBI survivors of this crime that were trafficked at, within the industry, really sort of talking about it and illuminating it. We created wallet cards that were specific to the industry of indicators, how they would see it. Because every industry, is, you're going to see mm -hmm. it a little bit different. The indicators are the same, right. but where you'd see it or how it would manifest are going to be a little bit different by context. And so really creating that industry specific package or suite of materials. And in industry specific, it sounds like it was very much focused on policing their own industry, that a yeah. lot of the trafficking, not all, but I think there's some presumption that, you know, a lot of the trafficking happens within the trucking industry for it's unfair to say it's the industry, but to say that that mode of transportation is taken advantage of by traffickers. And so to have those that are working in that industry, almost policing themselves. Yeah. I mean, traffickers are exploiting um, populations where there's a lot of uh, males that are away from their families for long periods of time. And when you look at over the road oh, trucking, right, okay. that's a huge piece of it. So truck stops and rest areas were always one, not the only, I mean, the, sure. the number one location where people are trafficked are like motels and hotels. But Makes when sense. you think of truck stops and rest areas, these are other areas where you have a predominantly male group of mm -hmm. people that are away from their families. And so traffickers will send their victims in there to make their quotas, to make that amount of money that they're required to make. And so, yeah, there was an element of policing. You know, somebody once said, well, you guys are naive to think that if a guy has a girl in his truck, he's going to care, you know, whether she's being forced or not. And I was like, I'm not really, he's not my focus. It's the nine trucks she had to walk past to get into his that's who I'm focusing on because those nine will make the call and they've right. proven us right throughout this time. The nine are making the calls on the one that, that is actually partaking. Because some of those signs, some of those baseline signs of what you might spot at say a rest area or a truck stop. And again, it might be good to share them because you know, at these rest areas, it's not just the truckers. It's any of us that are traveling the roadways. Yeah. So I would say, number one, any minor that's being sold for commercial sex, that's automatically a trafficking victim. You don't even have to look for anything sure. else. It's a minor. It's a trafficking victim. Also say if you see a car pulling in, dropping somebody off at a truck or at, you know, the motel near it or whatever, leaving and then coming back 15 to 20 minutes later, that's your trafficker dropping off the victim to the buyer and then coming back and picking them up. If you see, um, it could be two females, it could be two males, it could be a male and a female walking truck to truck to truck, right? There's one of them's the controller or the trainer and one of them's the, the one that's in process of being broken in, right? And they are, uh, that's, that's the solicitation. If you see signs of physical abuse, whether that's bruising, malnourishment, things of that nature, mm -hmm. Sometimes traffickers will brand their victims with tattoos. Um, those tattoos are oftentimes on the face or the neck, um, oh, sometimes the arm or the chest, but that could be crowns, um, treasure chests, money signs, um, coins, things like daddy's money maker, cash only, just not really things that one would put on themselves, right? right. Um, if they're talking about having to make a quota, they might not use the word quota, but they might say stuff like, well, I got to make that last 200 or daddy will be mad, or I've got to make mm -hmm. that last 100 or I, I, I don't get to go home or I, you know, I got to do that right. last 50 so I can go to sleep. 
that's again, that's the quota that the trafficker is putting on those victims. Sure. So anything like that is going to be signs of human trafficking. Yeah. So you're focusing on truckers for those early years, and then you realize, okay, there's now these other players that can help this battle as well, particularly in the public sector. And as it relates to our world in AMVA, law enforcement and motor vehicle agencies, when does that realization arrive? Yeah, in 2014, um, we started working with Chief Lorenzen or former Chief Lorenzen from Iowa um, Department of Transportation Motor Vehicle Mm -hmm. Enforcement. And he started to do all of these different things where he was getting our materials out to the industry within his state. And we were like, can you write all of this stuff down? And that became the Iowa MVE model, which now, you know, 49 states have adopted in part or in full. I think 42 states have adopted it in full um, across the country. And Really, it was just how can we get this messaging in front of the commercial vehicle enforcement? And and through our work with state patrols and DOTs, we were they were having um, their intersections with the bus industry. Mm. They started to come to us and say the bus industry wants their own stuff. They're using the tat, the, the trucking video, but they want their own stuff. And so from our public sector contacts, there was this ask for the bus industry. And so we started um, all of our bus industry training as well from there. Great. And I know there's also been conversations with DMVs, you know, as another place where victims may be appearing. Yes. And the idea of just like you made truckers aware and can make law enforcement aware when they're doing a roadside stop as to what might be going on in this truck that looks unusual this newer attention around the DMV clerk being able to recognize when maybe a victim is brought into the office. Absolutely. So um, there's just, there's so many ways. And we just worked with the Virginia DMV to create a guidance protocol for their DMV employees. Like here are all these different indicators. Here's why these are indicators. And here's what you should do if you see these types of things. But just really walking that down and we'd like to make that available. We're, we're still working on feedback and tweaking it, but like mm-hmm. making that available specific training because there are incidences where traffickers are bringing their victims into the DMV to get um, licenses, whether that is a real license or fraudulent um, documentation. They'll oftentimes be speaking for them, right? Um, there will be... Uh, victims that this is where they come, that they are actually away from their trafficker for for a minute. The trafficker's waiting out in the car and they've been sent in. And so there's there's these intersections where, you know, something can be done. Um, there was a case out of Tennessee where a young woman came in, um, was asking for an ID. She had all of this documentation saying that she was 18 years old. The DMV worker was like, there's no way this girl is 18 mm. years old. She looked 14, 15 years old. And in talking to her and asking her questions, the girl became very flustered, didn't really know what much to say. Mm -hmm. And um, she called her manager, manager um, had called in Tennessee Highway Patrol and um, they spoke to the young woman and she was being trafficked and her trafficker had sent her in to get this fake ID to pass her off as an adult at strip clubs at, you know, these Mm -hmm. different locations so that she could legally dance um, yeah. and then turn tricks on the side. And so 
um, they were able to not only recover her that day, they were able to go to the apartment and arrest the traffickers and recover another woman that was wow. being um, exploited by them. And that was all through a DMV employee trusting, you know, what they were seeing and make asking those extra questions. Mm -hmm. Try and dig a little deeper when something doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem quite right. Yeah. So how do we, how can we work with you and others to make that a little bit more broad based and more accessible to other DMVs, <clears throat> excuse me, to be on the lookout for that? Yeah. So I, what I would say is the state driver's licensing agencies can really look at themselves as a distribution point, right? They can have um, the materials available, not just for their commercial drivers, um, but have signage up. We have signage for bathrooms um, at AIC in Wisconsin this year or last year. Um, a lot of states were like, oh, what about putting these posters in our bathrooms, right? Where mm -hmm. people are in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. We could totally send you that. We have some victim centric posters and really saying like, we're going to be this distribution spot to both raise awareness, but also possibly intervene if mm -hmm. somebody uses the restroom, because traffickers don't often go to the restroom with their victims. That's like one place they might be, actually be alone. I think another way is, Amva, you guys for years have had a spread about TAT in your CDL manual packet that you send out to states. Um, we just updated that, and I believe that's going out this month um, with all of the relevant information. Love seeing that in the CDL manuals. Um, I would say there's there's just a ton of different ways. Mm -hmm, this new sure. guidance protocol, we can create a tailored um, training from that. Um, we're in the, the beginning stages of that, but I would hope that we could have that done within the next um, three to six months. Um, and really just getting this message out there, both in awareness of the general public that you're interacting with, mm -hmm. but also the training for the employees. So you mentioned earlier that actually the number one place where trafficking occurs is hotels and motels, not yes. surprisingly. Do you or do you have sister organizations that are focused on the same thing, educating front desk clerks, housekeeping, you know, all those employees at a hotel that might be the other sets of eyes and ears? Yes. So PACT, P-A-C-T, uh, formerly known as ECPAT, they've got a hotel and hospitality um, specific training. A lot of your state task forces as well, that is their number one target are hotels and motels within their area. And so mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of local work as well as PACT being a national organization that's getting that um, message out there to hotels and motels. And I would say hotels and motels, both for labor trafficking as well as sex trafficking. Mm. Is, are the strategies any different though? Are the strategy of fundamentally what you might train a hotel staff, whether front desk or housekeeping, for example, versus someone at a DMV counter versus a trucker, how different are the strategies to enable those different population to help fight this battle? Well, some of those indicators in training would be the same, right? Any minor being sold for commercial sex, right? But for a hotel worker, it might be that um, somebody comes in and they uh, have a young person or, or a woman in a hotel room and lots of different people are coming to that hotel room that aren't staying at the hotel, right? Like the ads are being posted online, people are purchasing mm -hmm. and then coming to the hotel room to, mm -hmm. you know, get what they've paid for, mm -hmm. um, the victims in there. So what hotel staff might see is they're denying, um, 
custodial services. Like they don't want the maid to enter the room. When the maid does enter the room, there's a lot of condoms, right? There's a lot of um, dirty towels, things of that nature. And so looking for that, that a truck driver wouldn't see, that a DMV worker wouldn't see, right? The DMV worker might see somebody coming in and asking for these fake IDs or, you know, um, using this as an opportunity to try to ask for help in a, in a, different type of way. Mm. Um, and so it's going to look a little bit different. Yeah. The indicators are what the indicators are, but it might look they a little present different. themselves in a different, yes. in a different manner. The, let's talk a little bit about that asking for help piece. Cause I remember it wasn't that long ago. There seemed to be a really big mainstream media attention around certain hand signals mm-hmm. that trying to let victims know that if they were in this situation to use a certain hand symbol that others can maybe recognize. Could you flush out that story a little bit more for me? Yeah, there was one case um, in Canada where a a victim did make the hand signal to a passing by motorist, I believe, and um, they called law enforcement and they were able to recover that victim. I think the anti-trafficking movement tends to stay away from things like that. There's been a, a number of different ideas over the years, like um, Mm. if you're being trafficked through a airport, put a fork or a spoon in your pocket. So it goes off for TSA that TSA pulls you aside for a Mm. search and then you can tell them um, the hand signal. I think the, the, the major drawback, and it's the only real drawback is you'd have to have a hundred percent saturation of knowledge. Everybody in the U S would have to know know what that means, right. To know what that means. And that's, I think the, the drawback of, and it also puts the onus on the victim themselves to mm. ask for help. And if they have been seriously traumatized or their family's being threatened, they're probably less apt to use it. And so yeah. that's where I would say the bystander education is maybe more important. And it's not, I'm not opposed to the hand signal if you want to do right. that, but I wouldn't rely on it a hundred percent based sure. on, you have to have a hundred percent saturation yeah. and you're putting it back on the victim to advocate for themselves when they might not be in that position. So we're talking specifically now because this month, January, is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Yes. Tell me what that means, why that's important, and anything that's particularly being done this month to focus on that. Yeah. So every year since um, George W. Bush was president, um, January was listed as human, National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And uh, the anti-trafficking movement, certainly all of us that are out there, like this is the month, right? Like this mm-hmm. is the month where everybody in the general public tends to attend like a function. There's more media um, attention for it. It's, it's an opportunity to really educate the populace about what it really looks like, and how they can shore up those vulnerabilities within their own communities and also providing the tools to have these conversations with your family members, your friends, your kids, because oftentimes what's presented on social media, that's not how it actually occurs, right? It's, Mm. It's rarely stranger danger. It's rarely, you know, somebody kidnapping you off the side of the road. Most trafficking victims tend to know their trafficker prior to the exploitation occurring. And so really having those conversations and equipping like this is the month like we do it all year long. But this is the month that there just seems to be a lot more attention given to it. Mm. You you mentioned social media and so so many times we're talking about um, these types of challenges the advent of those channels has 
impacted and changed, sometimes better, sometimes for worse, these types of campaigns, crimes, the way it occurs. How has the explosion, certainly in the 15 years you've been existed, it's certainly night and day from what it was then. How has social media changed the face of human trafficking? I would say that there's definitely pros and cons. I would say, you know, awareness can get out there in a much broader, quicker way, um, in a more consumable way for the general public through social media. And so it's fantastic that way. Mm -hmm. But I would also tell you a lot of the exploitation has moved online. So uh, traffickers exploit and there are documented cases of them um, meeting people and grooming them online on every single social media site. Um, and then uh, luring them out of their home to meet. And that's where the um, trafficking occurs. Every dating site, um, a lot of stuff is is mm -hmm. on there. And then you have a lot of erroneous information on social media as well. So I know law enforcement use social media to get evidence to build their cases. Mm -hmm, but that's mm -hmm. a positive. We use it to raise awareness and to um, really... Uh, help people connect with services, but yeah. then the flip side is, is traffickers are using it as well. Yeah. So is tax still a family affair? Um, we do. My mom still does all of our PR. Um, and I am the last remaining sister working with TAT, but, um, yeah, I would say that we all support it. One of my sisters supports it financially. Um, our former executive director, who's my sister, she works for the UPS foundation now, but she's always, obviously a big cheerleader for Tad as well. So I would say it's always going to be part of our family DNA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All because of the book. I guess we gotta be careful about what the next book is. Who knows? What I the know. Next, uh, adventure could books. Be. <laughs> yeah. be very serious conversations around the holiday time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you spending some time today. Again, just like you say, raising awareness, having the conversation. I know you're doing this in a lot of places, especially this month. What haven't we talked about that you know the AMVA community, you've spent time at our events, you've gotten to know our law enforcement, our motor vehicle members, our associate members. What, what else do you want to make sure that they have the chance to hear about today? What I would say is all of us, you know, human trafficking is an everywhere problem. So it really is an everybody's solution. And I feel like the TAT AMVA partnership can continue to grow. And I would I would hope that it does. And as you all have ideas, we would love to hear them. We would love to develop materials alongside you that would actually be a benefit to your work. Um, we always view our work as collaborative and we are here for you as a resource. Wonderful. And where can people find more information? Um, our website's truckersagainsttrafficking.org. And um, you can certainly send an email, info at truckersagainsttrafficking.org. That's a very long email, but... Um, but easy to remember. Yes. Info at truckersagainsttrafficking.org. If you want to communicate with myself or any of our other staff, um, we would just love to get you whatever we need. Do want to say all of our materials are free of charge. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for spending time today. Thanks for being a great partner. And I hopefully in this 2024 season, we'll see you at some more AMVA events to continue the conversation. We'd love that. Thanks, Ian. Great. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AMVAcast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com 
and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.